Hi everyone. Uh, well, I hope you've had a good time in the service so far. Um, have your Bibles open to James chapter 3. We're going to focus on the first 12 verses of James 3. And don't forget, please, to check out those CMS videos, just to keep us up to date with what CMS is doing, some videos from Chile and also from Namibia. And there's a short Bible talk there as well. You'll find the link in the service outline. How about I pray for us, and we'll continue on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you that you're a good God and a God who speaks to us. So, we, Lord, Lord, we pray that we would put your words into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, look, whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, well, I think that person was an insensitive fool and probably had no friends. Uh, of course, words hurt. Uh, that, that, there, there wouldn't be anyone watching today that hasn't been hurt by words or hasn't hurt someone else by their words. How we speak matters, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. Well, today, James, again, gets practical. It's the how-to of using words, uh, taming our tongues, as James says in this chapter. The Apostle has already told his readers to keep a tight rein on our tongues, uh, back in chapter 1, verse 26. And so now in chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, he gives this important topic his undivided attention. But first, let's start with something a little bit more, um, oh, a bit more positive, I guess. In a moment, I'm going to get you to press pause and uh, share with each other your answers to this question. And if you're on your own today, just have a, have a moment to think about it, maybe scribble a few things down. Okay, here's the question. What's one nice thing you've, uh, someone has said to you or that you have said to someone? What's one nice thing someone has said to you or that you have said to someone? Uh, give yourself as much time as you like. Press pause now. Welcome back. <laughs> Uh, I hope that was encouraging, or maybe you've got some good ideas as well. James begins this section with a warning to teachers about how they use their words. It's a, it's a warning to anyone in the church's word business. Chapter 3, verse 1 is a strong warning to those who would presume to use their tongues to teach. Verse 1, have your Bibles open. I'd love to have your Bibles open in front of you. You can follow along. Verse 1, 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You see, teaching the word of God is a serious business, which is why James says not many uh, should take up the role. But the phrase not many implies that some of us should, and those who do should do so well, knowing full well that with such a grave responsibility, comes a stricter judgment. All Christians must learn to control their speech. We'll see that in a moment. But teachers must do so especially. So who'd want to become a teacher? <laughs> the passage is hardly a great advertisement for signing up to teach the Word of God. You won't find it winning any trendy advertising awards, would you? The thought of being judged more strictly isn't overly attractive. But God wants his people to use his gifts, uh, their gifts, for his kingdom, uh, for the sake of the gospel. And so, excuse me, but we need teachers 
who will faithfully explain God's word, explaining how it applies to our lives. Uh, Preachers, small group leaders, kids' church, youth group leaders, lecturers, writers have been given a grave responsibility and an enormous privilege. And those of us who are not teachers, which was probably most of us, we would do well to encourage our, encourage our teachers by being good learners. As we keep in mind that they'll be judged more strictly, well, let's try to make their job a little easier. Michelle and Serena, well, they've been leading in church, they've been leading uh, one of our small group Bible studies for a couple of years now at church, and I thought I'd, I'd ask them why this teaching the word leadership is so important, and then what are some of the privilege of privileges of of leading a small group so here's what they said meeting with other christians as a community of believers is vital even more so in this covid time when we are in community with other believers we have people to support us pray for us mourn with us and share in our joys we are taught to love each other john 15 verse 12 hebrews 10 24 25 And meeting in small groups regularly is a great encouragement to all involved. Having people trust you with their spiritual life is indeed a privilege and we are very blessed to be part of our group's walk with Christ on a weekly basis. Fantastic. Thank you, Michelle and Serena. Uh, Yes, you see, teaching the word of God is is a, a grave responsibility. But as they go on to say, it's an enormous privilege, isn't it? Well, the presence of some in James's audience who wanted to be teachers gives him, therefore, the, the perfect opportunity to write to them about a theme that's relevant to all believers, and that is the need to control what we say. You see, what we say are not just words on a piece of paper, are they? They're not just words. So let's pick things up in verse 2. Again, have your Bible open in front of you and read along with me. Verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. It's worth pointing out here that 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 word perfect doesn't mean 10 out of 10 or that they are without sin. It's it's more to do with with maturity. Uh, Back in 1 verse 4, a few weeks ago now, the same word, Greek word, was translated as mature. So we could read this verse like this uh, from the Holman Christian Standard Version. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature person who is able to control their whole body. Here's the point. The the, the point is that although we all stumble in a variety of ways, those who gain control over what they say are mature Christians. They're growing to be more like Jesus. They're well on their way to keeping all their lives, like their, their whole body, in check. You see, how we speak to each other is an indication of how the rest of our lives are going as followers of Jesus. Now that may seem, you might think for a minute, oh, yeah, it's a bit, really? Are we making too much about what we say, our words, how we speak? Um, Does it really matter what we say? Well, in James's opinion, yes, it does. How we speak to each other is one of the most important dimensions of life. Quoting James's brother, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's Jesus' words in Matthew 12, verse 34. So 
Next, what James does in verses 3 to 8, he gives us four images to help us understand the power and influence of our words, our, our tongues, and how important it is to use them well. So first, James compares the bit in the mouth of a horse, verse 3, and a rudder on a ship, verses 4 to 5. The point is that a small instrument like a tongue can have huge outcomes. Next, James describes the tongue as a fire that sparks an enormous bushfire, verses 5 and 6. You see, sometimes even the smallest comment, a lie, an insult, some gossip, can damage relationships, destroy trust, and produce a whole series of unexpected and hurtful outcomes. It can corrupt the whole person and set his or her entire existence on fire. But these descriptions don't get any easier to swallow. The tongue is now compared to a deadly snake in verses 7 and 8. Have a look with me, verse, verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Now he's a snake bit. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James lived in a time that, that did tame lions, uh, elephants as well, and, and even snakes. The tongue, though, he says, remains undomesticated, a completely wild and venomous creature full of deadly poison. goes without saying, really, but we should say it <laughs> anyway. Um, James is using, he's exaggerating, isn't he, uh, to make his point. Now, Jesus did the same thing often. Remember this on the Sermon on the Mount passage, the, the gouging out of our eyes and the, the chopping off limbs that might cause us to stumble from Matthew 5. You see, both James and Jesus want to drive this point home. They, so they speak in these absolute terms with a bit of exaggeration. What's, what's important to realise from verses 7 to 8 is that James does not think that taming the tongue is impossible, so we should all give up, like that our words only ever speak with venom. Remember the context here, that the, the point of this section is to help us, to stop, to help us uh, to stop stumbling by the use of our tongues at that point. It was taken from right back to the start of the chapter in verse 2. Uh, growing up, we had, a, we had a barometer on our walls. Uh, uh, barometers measure air pressure. So at any time of the day, 24-7, we could measure, uh, well, we could read the air pressure measurement in hectopascals. Barometers are a measuring device. And so if you know your hectopascals, and I just like saying that word over and over, hectopascals, uh, if, if, you know, if you know them, you know that a hectopascals reading will actually reveal the whole weather picture, low pressure, high pressure. In the same way, you see, James, is, James describes our tongue as a kind of measuring device, a barometer, if you like, of our life. People who, can, who, who control their tongues are able to keep their whole body in check. How we use our tongues reveals the whole picture of our lives. James's point following on from the last couple of weeks, what we say and how we say it are fundamental expressions of the royal law of love in our lives. Remember what that was? Love your neighbour as yourself. See, folks, this has implications for all of us, doesn't it? It has implications for the elderly churchgoer who is constantly cranky with the young people of today, for the enthusiastic young believer who praises God in church but puts down his mates and constantly pushes back at his bum 
It has implications for the businessman or, or woman who looks down on employees and, and, and shop assistants as inferiors. For the wife who, who cuts down her husband. For the husband who never thanks his wife. There's implications everywhere, aren't there? And we could go on. But the point's the same. The tongue reveals the person. Well, finally, in this last little paragraph, in, in verses 9 to 12, James gives us, well, it's another example, isn't it, of inconsistent faith, if you heard from last week. Praising and cursing with our tongues, that cannot exist. James, like Jesus with the Pharisees, has a strong warning about hypocrisy. That, that word has an interesting history. I'm not sure you know about this, but um, the word hypocrite ultimately came into, the, into English from the Greek word, I'm not quite sure the pronunciation, uh, hypocrites, uh, which, which meant an actor, a stage player. The Greek word itself is what's called a compound noun. That means it's made up of two Greek words that literally translate an interpreter from underneath. It's a bizarre compound, but it's ma- it makes more sense when you know that the actors in ancient Greek theatre wore large masks to mark which character they were playing. And so they interpreted the story from underneath their mask. And I tell you, don't those, don't those masks look a bit scary? A bit creepy, if you ask me. Now, James doesn't use the word hypocrite, although Jesus does. But both James and Jesus were critical of Christians being actors, hypocrites, uh, putting on a mask when it suited them, the mask of Christianity when it suited them, playing the part like an actor. Uh, but the rest of their life didn't, well, didn't resemble the life that Jesus called us to live. Well, James now addresses what we might call this, this hypocrisy, uh, the, this inconsistency of the Sunday Christian, right? Let's read it. Verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. See, here's James's number one concern. And it's not about putting your foot in it at a dinner table or saying the wrong thing or even swearing. It's the inappropriateness, the inconsistency of praising God on Sunday and speaking unkindly to others Monday through to Saturday, what you might call the Sunday Christian. You see, to praise is to declare the worthiness of someone and so when it's directed towards God, as it refers to here, it's usually in the context of a church service, a a gathering, what you might do on a Sunday, right? Uh, Maybe a song or some sort of word or a prayer. It's how the word's often used in Psalms. Now, it does remind me of a bit of a silly story. A story of a Christian guy named Bill, Bill, who saw an ad online for a Christian horse. Yeah, anyway, uh, and so he went to check it out. (laughs) the horse's owner said well it's easy to ride him just say praise the lord that'll make him go and amen to make him stop well bill got on the horse and said praise the lord surely enough the the, the horse starts walking he says praise the lord again 
and the horse sort of gets into a bit of a trot, a, a trot. And then, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, he yells out the top of his lungs and the horse broke into this fantastic gallop. Well, Bill was enjoying his ride so much that he almost didn't notice the cliff he and the horse were about to go over. So Bill shouted, Amen, really loud, Amen. And the horse stopped right on the edge of the cliff. And he said, oh, phew, praise the Lord. Now, um, that probably doesn't help us explain James's point at all. Um, there is a lesson in there somewhere, and let me know if you find it. No, no, <laughs> praise the Lord here, as James refers to it. Like in the Psalms is the declaration of thanksgiving and the, the and declaration of, of God's worthiness of our praise, of our thanks, as we gather together, again, maybe in a word or a song. It's something that we do together as God's people. And a curse, and, that, and that's... That's not about casting a spell on someone or even swearing. It's about speaking to or about someone in a way that does not value them as being made in God's image, uh, God's likeness in verse 9. You see, us humans, we are flawed, but we still possess the image of God. It's how we're created. It's a truth that takes us right back to Genesis chapter 1. And so we must treat each other accordingly. All people have been made in the image of God, in God's likeness. All people are special to God. All people have a special dignity given to them by, by God. So friends, that's a truth that must be reflected in how we treat each other. To speak to others as if they are not made in God's likeness is, is not what we're called to do. James rather bluntly says, this should not be. To praise God one minute and curse someone made in God's image the next, that inconsistency, uh, is like fresh water and salt water coming from the same spring or a fig tree bearing olives. It's unnatural for God's people. It should not be. Friends, the, the way I speak doesn't make me right with God. Only our trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for us makes us right with God. But the way I speak does reveal what sort of person I am. Here's James's logic. Casting our minds back to chapter 1 when James speaks of the word of God being planted in us as we, as we turn to trust in Jesus. Now that fruit of that word must be seen to be growing in our lives and on our tongues. We are to love God and our neighbours with our words. Well, at the start, I, I asked you to share uh, one nice thing someone has said to you or that you've said to someone else. Uh, how'd you go with that? It's actually a fairly revealing exercise, isn't it? I'm going to close in prayer now. And uh, I'm going to close in prayer using the words of Ephesians 4.29. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would, you would help us to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.